Hey everyone, my name is Matt Phelan and welcome to the latest episode of Happiness in Humans. Welcome to 2021. Um, I am here with the amazing Fatima, but I'm going to ask um, Fatima to introduce yourself. Uh, Fatima, t- uh, tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, hi Matt. Thank you for inviting me uh, to this uh, amazing podcast. Uh, I've heard previous episodes. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I am uh, Fatima Maria Felisberti. I'm a cognitive neuroscientist and I'm a very curious scientist. So I work in different areas of neuroscience. And I think that pretty much tells all about me. Uh, well, it, well, there's one more thing we need to know, Fatima, which is even more important than all of this, which is what makes you happy? Yes, um, everything can make me happy. It just depends on the context. Um, I'm pretty much a half glass, a sort of a glass, half glass full person, um, if you say that. Yeah. Uh, perfect. I think that's it's, it's, it's a good, good good description. And um, so you so are you saying positivity is what makes you is what makes you happy? I think it's more than positivity. Is uh, uh, an ability to try to see the upside, the positive side of things, but not necessarily always with a positive framing. Uh, I think I would follow more the Stoic's uh, way of life, that yeah. sometimes you can see something that is, ne- you can see the negative sides of things, but take that as um, as a way of preparing yourself for big, big problems. So you have yeah. a small problem, you're really annoyed, you're tired, you didn't sleep the whole <laughs> night, you have to get up very early, and and we annoyed but on the other hand you think hey hang on a minute uh there'll be moments later on in life that you have to do that because you you're really in a stressful situation you have to rush you have to get something done it's really important and you think hey that is okay i had for example i was always moaning about not about sleeping and it was really annoying and I had problems sleeping and then I had a big bike accident almost lost my arm and I had to be in the hospital and I was just so blessed to be there and to be able to uh, read and lay down and you know and knowing that I, I kept my arm of course so all my moaning before just prepare me to how bad <laughs> it was to sleep having to avoid one side of my arm uh, not sleeping on that side so it just prepare me in a way so it's uh, wow. sometimes you 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 just have to take the negative sides of life and you know and yeah. just deal with it um, I love that I, I think this is the most comprehensive answer on on what makes someone happiness happy, happy we've had that's about. Um, and also it's interesting isn't it because sometimes other people's perspective can change your perspective like at the moment, my road is basically a building site. So my next door neighbor's rebuilding their house. There's planning permission at the end of our garden to have a house built in the garden and two doors up. So it's like a building site everywhere. And at first I was really unhappy about this, but now my son every single day gets really excited because there's a new type of digger or truck turning up. 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I realized instead of being a grump, turning into a grumpy old man, yeah, 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 yeah. out this noise. Like today, there's a big drill. It must, it's like bigger than two houses that's turned up. And I'm like, I'm going to get excited about this drill because Fred's excited rather than thinking, oh, this drill is going to keep me awake um, or, or stop me from doing my work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You still, we still feel annoyed, but yeah. by knowing that there is something that we can enjoy with that, that is, uh, I, I remember reading one of the tricks the Stoics used that it was a, uh, projecting yourself in the future talking about the past so in in your case you would be imagine you you talk to you to to your friend or to your wife or to your kids and say yeah. oh you are in the present but you talk as if that was in the past <laughs> remember those days where oh. the house it was a mess and there was a drill all night long and and yeah. you felt really happy because you had seen the tracks so if you try to see how you're going to refer to an event that is happening now yeah. as if it were in the past it also allows us to to have a different perspective on it it doesn't yeah. make anything easier it's not this oh, everything is rosy and pink and everything is great and now I'm happy. No, we still feel those emotions, you know. Yeah. It's part of being alive to experience all these annoying, <laughs> some annoying and some amazing emotions. Yeah. But we need this cocktail of emotions to know that sometimes we are truly happy and sometimes yeah. we are just using some different frames to the situations to feel less unhappy, right? I love um, it. I love it. I, I think you've also the second story is my my daughter. I think you've just I've I've confirmed that my daughter is a stoic philosopher because she did this. She did this technique on me. I was moaning about it, and she said, "Dad, what if they the new neighbors build a swimming pool and they invite us round? What about that?" Exactly. <laughs> Um, oh wow, Fatima! Um, I feel like this is turning into a counselling session for me. So I'm going to ask you some more questions. <laughs> um, your career and your journey is so fascinating. Just, just, just take us back to to where you were growing up and and and, and how you grew up and and where the different places you worked and and what you studied because it is fascinating. And, and our listeners will, I know, will really enjoy it. So tell us a bit about your career. Yeah. Some people may well find that it's great. Uh, some others say, oh, how unfocused. But uh, I had from early on, I decided to embark on a life journey. And I knew I want to be a scientist very early on. But, uh, and, and I, I was interested in different things from cancer to madness and architecture, I like making things. And there is a, an event that marked me strongly and probably defined my decision to become a neuroscientist, that it was seeing visiting a family with my mom and seeing two kids playing in the garden, not joining them because I was a bit shy. And then one of them starts banging his head uh, against a rock and there was blood and the mothers came wow. out and helped him. And, and I just, I don't remember anything else apart from that. I just remember that from that moment on, I was fascinated. I want to understand what is madness, what happens. But then as you get to study becoming a, as you become a neuroscientist, you know that madness is one of the most complex things. Then there is not one thing that is madness. There are different aspects of human behavior that could in a moment or another be classified as madness. So uh, that guided me to study uh, 
biology, sort of physiology, because at the time psychology was going very much into, it was dominated by psychoanalysis yeah. and philosophy. And although I love that, I want to know the needs, sort of the nitty gritty parts of madness or the brain. I want to understand how the brain worked. So yeah. I, I started training as a neuroscientist. I work with, uh, I was fascinated by sort of sensory physiology and I start working with ants and I start studying their well, well, let me stop you there so ants, as in the little, little tiny ants yes the very yeah. tiny ones the ones that cut bits and bobs of leaves and then carry to their nests and then underground and we had a lab with these underground tunnels of uh, with ants that they call a, a sort of uh, utter sex dance is the scientific name. But those ants, they carry the leaves and the leaves are used to, to put in their gardens and to feed the, this uh, fungi, this white fungi that never see the day of light and they eat those fun fungi. And they are fascinating and they navigate this system, that they have a navigating system that use, uses pheromones to find their way and then carry the leaves back. And they the weight they carry is massive in relation to their body mass. And then from that, you start really being fascinated by the behavior of ants in general, social animals. And to cut a long story short, uh, I went from vision to a vision and navigation into social behavior and then into visual perception and different forms of behavior. And nowadays I'm just studying human behavior, jump from ants to turtles, to cats and monkeys, to beetles, and, uh, and then to anesthesia. And here I am just working in a lab with humans that, uh, participants that just join the lab and they look at images or they hear sounds. I'm trying to understand how they derive pleasure from those experiences, really. So I'm going to. I'm just going to ask you to to explain to simple people like myself just a couple of things that you take for granted, Fatima. Um, what would you just dis define neuroscience as? Like, what 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 is neuroscience for for people that are just getting into the subject? The, the sort of there are people that see neuroscience as neuroscience is everything, right? You're talking yeah. to a neuroscientist. But uh, the, 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 the close definition, the more restricted definition, I think is uh, when we're trying to, we are access, we, we look at how the brain works. Uh, and brain can be, we have a peripheral brain. We, we have nerves all over our bodies in our, the tips of our hands and our tongues. And so it's trying to, understand how all those neurons, uh, how they communicate with each other and how that activity leads us to perceive the world around us. And some define that saying, oh, that is neuroscience, but when you get human behavior into that, that you add psychology to the mix, that is not purely neuroscience, that is cognitive yeah. neuroscience. And, yeah. and and the level of the, the graining or the, 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 the level of, the differentiation between molecular neurobiology, neurobiology, neuroscience, neuropsychology, cognitive neuroscience, cognitive neuropsychology. Then you have all these divisions. But at the core of it all, we want to understand this organ that is on, in, not just in our brains, but our 
it's our spinal cord, it's in our gut. We have a nervous system that's called mesenteric system in our guts that is about 10% of the, the nerve cells that we have. It's almost as large as our spinal cord. So yeah. it's trying to understand how this all work together and how that is connected with the behavior that we perceive, that we see. And um, thanks, um, that was such a good description, Fatima. Uh, and the, the next bit, when you were talking about the ants, you just randomly dropped in their pheromones. Um, and I think you said ants use pheromones to communicate and that they're uh -huh. social animals. Um, can, you, can you just tell us a little bit about what, what a pheromone is um, and if it is used to communicate and if it is how it's used? Yeah, I can even expand and, and, and be much more general than that because uh, we have sensory systems. As humans, we, we are pretty familiar with our sensory systems. We, we see, we hear, we touch, we taste. Uh, and we have also uh, a sense of our body in the space. We don't need to open our eyes. Other animals, they have different sense. They use different strategies to communicate. It looks like we also have, in a way, a very weak uh, pheromone system as well to communicate. It's, it's human, human, so you're saying you would, human beings have a weak pheromone system, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, some, some argue that, you know, those old experiments that you get uh, people to guys to wear shirt, t-shirts, they wear for some days and then you remove the t-shirts and give to females and they are going to smell that and they would see which one they find more attractive, which smell they find more attractive. And they would check whether that is correlated with levels of testosterone or some other hormones yeah. and so on and so forth. But I don't work with that. I, I know much less than you do. I'm quite sure about that. But uh, in, in terms of perceiving the world around us, that is something that fascinates me. It's just one of the tools that animals have. Bats have echolocation, dolphins uh, have a different system that adds to that. Uh, some have uh, a thermal system, some like some uh, snakes, some others use magnetic fields to navigate. So there are different sensory systems that allow us to look at the world in ways that for some other animals would look really, mm. really strange, right? Yeah. So this is what fascinates me rather than a specific sense. Uh, and I focus on vision. So I specialize on vision. But I was always fascinated by all these other senses. Uh, there are some, uh, Thomas Nigel, there is this philosopher that uh, just talks about con sort of consciousness. And, and questions, how would it feel to be a bat? Yeah, how would you like question. navigating using uh, an echolocation system? Uh, how would that feel? Uh, yeah. and, and that opens the gates of the perceptual words that are all around us and that can be so different, right? Yeah. No, that's that, and that, and that that leads me, Fatima. Uh, one funny story: when one of my friends at university found out about this pheromone story that you, you told, he stopped wearing deodorant, um, <laughs> which he thought would be great, um, which it may or may not have been for att attracting other people. But as his as his flatmate, it was not great. 
And because everybody uses, he, he loses his, uh, his edge because if everybody is wearing that and, and women that take the pill, apparently they become much, uh, they become immune to those signals. So, but as I said, I'm speculating, I may well be saying absolutely horrible things, perhaps research has denied that so i prefer yeah. not to dig yeah. into that but if we want to have an edge we have to look around us and see what is really going on so that when we apply some of these tricks uh yeah. in the mating game we do have an advantage right so i mean this is a podcast for another day isn't it which is is deodorant and perfume is it like the equivalent of taking drugs in sport but uh, as in cheating your way but let's let's park that one for now because I want to get into the reason I invited you on, and I know you've got to go soon, which is um, visual art and the connection to happiness. What does that even mean, Fatima? Like, talk us through that. Yeah, uh, I think we we all, uh, we are all the time, we spend so much time, and we are so lucky to be living in a Western and a stable society that allows us to have some, at least, some extra time to dedicate to entertainment. If we look at the time we spend uh, on leisure in, in our society, at least um, in this country, we are lucky enough, and most of us, not everybody, but most of us, we are lucky enough to have some entertainment time. We are not working uh, 16 hours a day, all the time, 365 days a year. So in this entertainment time, part of it, it's uh, used to watch things, to read, to mm. see, to, to listen. That the most and and to eat and to enjoy food. There is the eating that is essential, but there is some eating that is related to the pleasure of eating, like desserts and things like yeah. that. And a large part, because we are mammals that are strongly visual, we are mostly visual. Vision for us is essential to to our survival. Uh, Fatima, sometimes, was, people, some, sometimes people just chucking that men are more um, more visual than women? Is that is that just a random thing that people have made up? Is there any research into that? Is there, is there any differences? They When they refer to that, they are just talking about a type of focus attention that they may, some of the, some genders may well pay more attention to some things than others. And yeah. in a specific context, under specific circumstances, you would find some differences. But what is uh, common to all, our visual systems are essentially the same. Uh, of course, we can have impairments. Some people see, uh, uh, they are called trichromats. They, they see a multitude of colors. Other ones are dichromats. They, they have a deficiency in one uh, of one type of photoreceptor. They see pretty much like uh, what horses and dogs and cats see. They have a, a limited range of colors. Other ones see the world in black and white, like old television sets, but we all get along. And the majority of us, we, we see the world pretty much in a very similar way in terms of moving on and, and being able to talk about the same things. So there are differences, but nothing that would uh, make uh, any people really happy to say, oh, men see much better than women or all the way around. Or it, when they talk about differences in a very 
popular way, what they are referring to perhaps um, attentional mechanisms. They may well focus on some things right. rather than others. I the reason I ask is I just sometimes stuff comes out of science and gets into public public sort of understanding, and that can also be dangerous. So I just I, I find it really useful to ask those questions. But uh -huh. but let's carry on. Let's keep going into vision into vision and happiness. Uh huh. So because of this entertainment and and uh, that and because we are visual animals, essentially visual mammals, and mm. and vision is so important to us. A large part of the the forms of entertainment that we have, they are visual. Uh, it's reading, it's watching telly, go to the movies, going to museums. Uh, we rely on vision a lot, yeah. and and that is really interesting because this is most of our aesthetic preferences then they are related to vision and they are the sources of our pleasures our small pleasures our what makes us make well help us to to feel happy to feel pleasure to or to look and and, and also it is important in the mating game uh, to look for a mate to look at somebody that is going to spend the rest of their lives with us we feel yeah. attracted by beautiful people and that is another line of research that are, i'm not going to touch i haven't i haven't worked on that yeah. but in terms of other forms of um, aesthetic pleasures like art reading as i said uh, i'm focused on visual art and that films and um, going to museums, looking at art, looking at when you read a comic strip, you're looking at different forms of art and illustrations, mm -hmm. and and that is really important. And and they, it's been used for for therapy. Art therapy has been around for a long, long time, and psychologists are just now trying to catch up with that. And if you go to when you're in a meeting or doing some things and you're feeling tired or you need to focus, you can start doodling. Doodling now yeah. enter the psychologist's vocabulary. And if you and 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 I know people go around giving talks to very busy business people that and trying to help them to relax. And one of the things that they tell them is start doodling use doodling to relax to to calm to bring yourself to bring everything into focus into perspective and it's great right it's it's a way it's a, a dynamic i would call it a dynamic form of mindfulness because you just focus your attention on those circles and lines and things that emerge spontaneously from you and that can help you then to focus on what is going on in the meeting. It's almost like writing a book in a, in a coffee shop, on, in, a, uh, on a cafe, in a cafe, where the, the background noise just filters out your own inner thing, mm. feelings and thoughts, and allows you in a very counterintuitive way that background noise allows you to focus on what you want to do and perhaps doodling is uses the same wow principle. so you got all these people out there that have been judged for doodling in a meeting where people think oh that person's not concentrating but but you're saying is that, that these people it's a, could be a big advantage to them to do a little bit of doodling in a meeting if they want to pay attention to the meeting they may well <laughs> We don't know what is happening with them, right? We can yeah. use doodling just to 
see the, the, the meeting pass away and it may well be that we are not interested at all and yeah. we are just daydreaming and using that. But if we can use exactly the same tactic to uh, help us to focus on what has been what is being said without staring to the person all the time or is, without allowing the mind wandering getting us away from what is said so it can be used as a trick as a is a way of bring us back like the background music or the voice yeah. in a cafe or it can be very distracting so it's almost like any tool that we have at our disposal we can use it for good for yeah. really specific tools or we can just let it take us it's like having a mobile phone and spend the whole day replying to messages and look at twitter and facebook or yeah. we can use it in a very effective way with a to-do list and timers and and things and doodling it will be it can be used in a very similar way as well I think Fatima, from, from speaking to you before this and listening, I think that's one of the things I've that comes across strongly from you consistently, which is you don't really see things in the world as good or bad. You just see them as things that you can learn from. Like we spend a lot of time explaining to people that like high happiness doesn't mean good and low happiness means bad, like how you described it as a cocktail of emotions that are all useful in the same way that these techniques like doodling, you don't see it as good or bad. You just see it as something that can be useful <laughs> that you can use. Is that, would you, would you say that? That's yeah, right? exactly. Imagine you go to the, uh, I, I have very eclectic taste in, in films and I think most people also have it. Uh, I, I believe that the majority of us like to try and, and watch different films uh, to trigger different emotions. And, if we feel safe to go and watch a horror movie, it's fantastic. But mm -hmm. we are scared and, and in terror for some times. But we have that sense of security in the end. That is not really happening. And, and I always needed all these emotions. How many times did I go to movies just to cry my heart out? And I yeah. just love it. Like the... Uh, what is the purple color? I don't know. I was a child. I went, or Blade Runner, you know, yeah. you just have these very strong emotions and sensations, and you want yeah. it. How boring would be life if you're happy all the time? Yeah. I think that would be my idea of Dante's Inferno, you know, to be <laughs> happy, to be just close in a happiness circle. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah. anything worse than that? No, I, I, I just, I just think it's such a powerful point, isn't it? That I was watch, listening to a great TED talk that the only people who don't feel emotions are dead people, and that we should always remember that when we're having <laughs> what we perceive as positive or negative. Look, Fatima, I know that you had to leave at ten past, and it's thirteen past. I'm just going to oh. ask you three, three questions. Can you just answer them in one sentence? Because I don't want to get in trouble with um, whoever you're meeting or, or whatever's happening. So. Three super quick questions. How does this impact visually impaired people? Is, is, is this something that we can understand from this? Yeah, people adapt. We adapt to everybody, everything, every situation. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the, the most fantastic skills that we have is to adapt to the world we have and start saying, uh, saying I mean, what a sort of contradictory thing when you talk about visual impairment, but we adapt to the world around us. And if we are visually impaired, everybody that is visually impaired, there are several studies that shows that you they start discovering different levels of uh, 
perceptual auditory uh, perception. They start inferring emotions from voices much better than us. They noticing mm. uh, sounds in the environment much better than us. And they form their word in a way that is perfectly, uh, it's as, as good as our words because they developed all these skills that because we are visual people, we, the ones of us that have vision, we get distracted by it yeah. and we don't focus in other senses. So we adapt to everything. If we lose our ability to walk, if we, a, a tetraplegic is not less happy than, yeah. than me, for example. Of course, yeah. and when that happens for the first time, there was a period of adaptation. But after a while, we have this amazing capacity to adapt to the most strange and horrendous things. Yeah. We, the love of life, I think, supplants every difficulty. What is really strange, talking as an able person, but this is what seems to be happening. Wow, I mean, I mean, if you, um, we're paraphrasing here, but you, you're also talking about that, obviously, evolution here, aren't you? It's not the biggest and strongest that survive. It will be the most adaptable to change. So I want to go on to the next two really quick questions. What is the most surprising thing you've ever found in your research? Um, and I know you, when I asked you this off, offline, you said everything, but is there something that you, when you've done a bit of research, you've like, wow, that's really, I just can't believe that. Is there, is, is there anything in there that comes to your mind straight away, Fatima? Yes, as I said, um, everything seems to be so fascinating. Um, I just love everything. I think the process of uh, testing hypotheses and, and being able to do that and, and, and putting something out there and testing and looking at the findings and, and see that we discover something new, it, it's fascinating. I, I like everything. I can't even thinking about this last 20 minutes of being having that in the back of my mind. And yeah. I can't really tell you about it. It's just everything comes to mind. Not There is not one single thing that I, I could say Wow, because there is always something more to discover. So I, I could say, discover, oh, ants, they have this extraocular photo, they have an eye in the middle of their brains. And no, I'm like, no, no, oh no, my no, God, no, I no, discovered no. that. They, they are functional, that is amazing. And then you discover, but functional in what? And then comes the big questions that you go on and research. So there is never an end to an amazing finding because then you want to know more. And I think, wow. That's why I can't tell you one single because wow. every time I think about one, I think, oh, but that, and then the questions come. So it's a non-ending. I'm really sorry to interrupt you, but I'm taking that. I don't even know. You just said something about ants having an eye in the middle of their brain. I'm taking that and I'm giving that to our listeners. And But I'm also appreciating the fact that that is the wonder of you is that you're always, you're always, you're curious. That's the thing that comes out. Um, so I love that. So last question. Um I know you're starting to look into the science of happiness and music. Give us, give us, give us a couple of sentences on, on why your curiosity is sort of spread towards music and what and what you might be looking at in that area. Yeah, it's about it's related to aesthetic experiences and audio sensory. So I focus a lot on on visual experiences. How much pleasure we derive at looking at art and paintings and sculptures. There was this haptic pleasure of. Uh, 
sensing textures and and looking at sculptures imagine what your sense is that and of course sooner or later would have to move to to music because music it's everywhere and we love music and it allows us to be transported to different worlds and it changes our mood very much like films do so films uh, where the where are the, the the things that audiovisual information is is so important and how can I because I love films and I am interested in that I could not leave the audio out I could not leave music out mm -hmm. so music in the context of my research this is perception of music it's not related to music itself because I'm not very good at singing I don't know much about music that it gives us the ability to allow hours to move to these different words to dream to imagine that we are in a forest uh, when we hear the the sounds of a rain uh, we can transport ourselves to a, a tropical forest we can uh, if there are hummingbirds there we can just travel in time and in space and and that is what fascinates me this sensory wow ability to be transported to other worlds, to other places. Fatima, I'm just going to finish by saying, I didn't know who you were four or five weeks ago. You didn't know who I was. And um, thank you so much for getting my email and agreeing to come on because now like me, I'm sure all our listeners are just, their lives are improved from having listened to you. So I just want to finish by saying I'm fascinated and I'm going to Google, go and Google about ants, brains, uh, eyes in their brains. But thank you so Thanks, much for sharing, for sharing yeah. everything. Sorry. I just literally just thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this Fatima. And thank you for inviting me. And 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 I find uh, your podcasts and all your previous speakers are fascinating. You learn so much. It's it's lovely the the work you're doing. And uh, please go on and keep 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 doing it. I think it's it's helping a lot of people. Yeah. And thank and you. thank you again for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Fatima. You better go. You're ten minutes late for whatever it was you needed oh, to do. Oh my God. Ago. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you. Have a lovely day. You too. Bye.